Welcome to Handmaids and Harlots, a weekly podcast that explores both the Handmaid's Tale and Harlots series produced by Hulu. This podcast is marked as heavy spoilers, as it will include episode-by-episode synopsis, as well as analysis of both shows and their written source material. The textual references for this podcast are The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, interviews, essays, analysis, and other available materials regarding Miss Atwood's book and forthcoming second installment, Testaments. Textual references for all Harlots-related podcasts will be taken from Hallie Rubinold's book, The Covent Garden Ladies, Pimp, General Jack, and the Extraordinary Story of Harris's Lists, as well as interviews, essays, analysis, and other available materials regarding Harlots by Hulu. Join me, Ray, and my co-host, Kay, as we watch, read, and discuss these two provocative and intelligent stories. The first sight we see is of a leaf-like shaped chime in the rainbow colors moving in the breeze, along with many other chimes. Next is a circle of Marthas that pray for Nicole with the handmaids moving around them. June comments that this is how she knows about her baby, that if they're praying, then Nicole slash Holly is safe. She prays that it stays that way, and for Serena to get past her broken heart to know the truth, to convince Fred to let things lie, or for both of them to get hit by a truck. We move back to the Lawrence household where June is putting away her shopping items from her trip when Lawrence asks if a Martha can't do that, and June responds she's just making herself useful. Lawrence says that Fred is borrowing June to D.C. so she should pack, that it's a week of public prayer in D.C. When the commander says it's so Fred can be returned his daughter, June quickly asks him not to call Nicole Hawley that. June notes that Mrs. Waterford will be there, so she prepares herself to go. Moving to the scene of inside of a train, the color all around is red. Red curtains cover the windows, and we see handmaids along with some aunts. Aunt Lydia is sleeping in the seat next to June. As the National Station is announced, June moves back the curtain to see what was once the Washington Monument is now formed in the shape of a cross. We're given an overhead shot of the escalators, taking everyone either to or from an unloading area. Aunt Lydia is pleased, mentioning she's pumped. There's a shot of two handmaids going down, with their mouths covered with a red wrapping. Aunt Lydia tells June to move to her spot. June passes a group of guardians, and it's a literal red spot that is watched over by two aunts, with two maidens already kneeling there. When June greets the aunt, she responds and puts a pillow down for June to kneel on. Blessed is the silent, for only they will hear the voice of the Lord, as we see the two maidens are silenced by that fabric as well. It is not long before the Waterfords are there to collect June with everyone of the household there. June greets Serena Joy, for which she doesn't answer. As Fred and Serena move forward, it leaves Rita and June to reunite. Rita and June both mention that they miss each other. When June says that Serena can't want this, Rita mentions that she misses the baby and it's the only thing Serena has ever wanted. A procession shot takes the household to a large two-story manor. Serena Joy mentions they should have just stayed at a hotel. When the Martha opens the door, she silently moves out of their way to allow them in. There's a shot of two canaries in an ornamental cage as the household waits for the commander. There's a shot of Serena's unclasped hands clasping with Fred's already's clasped. High Commander Winslow enters the room with an apology of work and welcoming them to to his home. 
Winslow mentions that they must be careful of the images that they release to the world, which Fred agrees to. There's a moment of silence before a little girl bursts into the room to say goodnight to Winslow. He lifts her into the air and introduces the girl as Polly before a small herd of children enter the room, at least five children. Olivia enters, the commander's wife, and hugs Serena, holding an infant, and introduces her children to the Waterfords. Serena asks, are they all yours? To which Olivia responds, who else would they be? Olivia places the child in Serena's arms as Tamara, the Martha, is told to get them, Rita and June, settled. The rot metal and glass door is closed as the commanders and wives are left to enjoy the children. As Rita and June enter up the staircase, Rita exclaims about the amount of children, how they've never seen that many children in one house. That three was the most that was seen before. June is told she'll be staying with of George, which means they have a handmaiden as well. Rita exclaims that it's probably a privilege of rank. And inside the room, there is a picture of the Winslow family. The next shot is of Serena getting unpacked in her room. Fred knocks and is given permission to enter. He asks after her, mentioning about how many children there is a miracle. He also mentions that there's nothing news-wise from the Canadians, but they might have a neutral party intervene. He mentions the plans for the day, and Serena says she'll get to some sleep. Fred says he has work to do. Before he leaves, he gives her back her wedding ring on the countertop. Serena Joy says goodnight, and Fred doesn't return it. Serena Joy sinks to her knees and pulls out the picture of Nicole Holly's baby's feet. We move to the handmaiden room where June is making a little baby foot in the window's condensation. She greets of George, who bows her head in response to the greeting. As June apologizes for coming into her space, of George is removing the mouth cover, which we see has clasps on the back. When of George doesn't respond to anything, June turns to talk to her when we see of George's mouth is wired shut with three brass rings. June apologizes, then turns away, covering her own mouth. The next shot moves behind a pair of stone angel wings behind June, perfectly set to look like she is the angel. Fred, Serena, and Aunt Lydia come in with a group of handmaids, all of them wearing the same face mask. Aunt Lydia sees some of the wires peeking out and covers them back up as the girls move into a semicircle. June asks how many of these that they will do. Serena responds with as many as it takes, while Fred is busy instructing the handmaids. Walking in during the instruction is Commander Nick. Fred didn't expect him, and Nick says he should get his orders in any day. Fred asks Nick to stand in for him for the one shot, while Fred takes his spot back with June, between him and Serena. We see that Serena's wearing her wedding ring again. Fred starts with a prayer. June then kneels down, which shows the handmaids kneel all after her. June looks to Nick, who looks away. We see the children's playroom with the Marthas all watching after and playing with the children. June comes in holding one of the toys before she sits and joins Serena. June t tries again to stop her with the pressure on Canada to talk to her. Serena responds with the seeing the baby changed everything for her. June understands, but it says it changed Serena, but it didn't change Gilead. Serena only mentions that the children here seem happy. June asks if she's seen their handmaid, but they're interrupted by Fred coming in and telling that the Swiss are coming in as a neutral party and that they want to conduct interviews together. The flags of Gilead are everywhere as they pull up to the building. There's an overhead shot of black umbrellas moving about before the movement of a red umbrella passes between them. We see June waiting as Rita paces. Fred and uh, Serena Joy are returning from their interview. The representative says they would like to interview June alone. 
Serena sits next to June before she leaves and tells her not to be stupid. We see June sitting across the table from two women and one man. There are two other people in the room that June says must be dismissed if they can speak freely. After they leave, June is quick to say that she is the child's mother and wants Nicole to stay in Canada. She mentions she knows that things cannot be promised to change or pretty for her. She just wants Nicole in Canada. They mention the situation's complicated. June tells that Fred is not Nicole's father. They mention they already know this from an audio tape that they got in Canada. They mention that Gilead's a strong nation and Canada doesn't want conflict, but they need information on how Gilead works from the inside. June says she can bring a commander, an eye. June makes the promise that if Commander Blaine talks, they can keep Nicole in Canada. They agree. Move to the billiard room of the Winslow house, where Winslow is giving Fred quite a few compliments. He does take a shot in front of Fred, who looks uncomfortable and turns away. Winslow mentions he might be able to get a posting in D.C. And as Fred goes to take a shot next to Winslow, the commander reaches over and rubs over Fred's shoulder and doesn't lift his hand before they leave to go to Polly's tea party. Fred's left alone in the room and places down the cues before leaving as well. We're back in the children's playroom where Olivia and Serena Joy have a talk where Olivia says she loved Serena Joy's book, that it was a book that saved Olivia. Fred comes over to ask for some sugar, playing with the lion to make Serena smile. She hands over the sugar and the two have a moment while Fred returns to the tea party. In the middle of the night, Tamara wakes up June, whispering to her that there's someone outside. June is wrapped up in her cloak as she heads outside and runs to Nick in the dark. After a kiss and embrace, she tells him he has to talk to the Swiss. He tries to fight doing so, talking against governments and their wants before he gives in to June. We next see Nick walking to meet with the Swiss. It's quiet, and before he walks up the stairs for the interview, we hear no words from him. June is nervous, pacing the playroom when she hears Fred and Serena walking in, talking with one of the Swiss representatives. June asks what she's doing there, and the discussions are meant to continue. They say that they won't be able to work with Nick, saying that research is not... They say that they won't be able to work with Nick, saying that research is saying that he is not to be trusted, and that he's left for Chicago. Fred returns with her coat and leads her out, leaving Serena with June. June asks what Nick did before he was a driver. Serena says that he served Gilead, that he was a soldier in the crusade. She teases June by asking that since they spent all that time together and they hadn't discussed it. The next shot is of Nick walking to a soldier train car. All of the soldiers stand and salute as he walks past. June is sitting in her bed as Aunt Lydia walks in with a large box. Lydia asks if June's all right before bringing her the mouth covering that the D.C. handmaids all wear. June asks Lydia tearfully if she wants them all silenced, and Lydia responds choked up that she doesn't. She talks to June about how she wants to make one person in the world happy, that she thinks of June, before June asks Lydia to help her put on her mask. The way it's pulled against June shows there's no way to speak at all with it on, and it also covers the little bit of skin that shows her collarbone. The next scene shows June standing in front of what's left of the Lincoln Memorial. All of the words have been crushed to be unreadable, and the statue is missing its head. There's also rebar sticking up that says things have been removed. We just start to see Serena Joy enter the memorial. June pulls her mouthpiece over again before Serena Joy says it's nice, the silence. It causes June to pull it back down and tell her it could be returned. Serena Joy says they'll soon be free of each other, which June says it won't happen until both her children are safe. The two argue over trust and love of the children before June says that Serena Joy doesn't know how to love and that she can't love. That Gilead was built all so she could have somebody. But Serena Joy is small, cruel, and empty. 
Serena Joy shoots back that they should have put a ring in her mouth when they first met. And June says that she should have left Serena Joy to burn. With tears, June is left to place her hands against the statue before she pulls up her mouthpiece, places the wings on, and heads to the prayer session. June walks out to where we can see a platoon of handmaids all surrounding the ways up from the Washington Memorial through the reflecting pool. All wearing masks with their heads bowed, June comes in between Serena Joy and Fred again for the video. Fred begins the prayer. That's the signal for June to kneel. June doesn't kneel, and Fred repeats it again. June makes eye contact with of George before June finally kneels down, and the handmaids all follow suit in a practice succession. Fred speaks of the children being an arrow in the hand of a warrior and the blessings of a man with a quiver of them. As the prayer continues, we get a shot of the new Washington Monument in June's eye before a shot of her face as the scene cuts black. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Handmaids and Harlots. And I am Ray. I'm Kay. And we are going to discuss episode six of The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. What a fucking ride this week. Oh my god. Just, oh. Yeah. I don't even know if we want to jump right into themes first. Maybe we want to have a hot minute here to talk about what in the actual fuck. Farfanugan, this is just so screwed up all right it's now time i allow all of you who have been secretly keeping voodoo dolls of me and serena joy taped together and stabbing us <laughs> you have every right to publicly castigate me at this point <sighs> there's just so oh i'm sorry i'm not like verbal I had to watch this twice, and I didn't want to watch it again after the first episode. In a good way, you know? Not like yeah. this was a terribly made episode. It was it was beautifully created and everything, as usual. Yeah. But emotionally, I didn't want to do it. <laughs> it was emotionally crushing. And I just want to say that after the week I had this week, that was definitely not how I wanted to spend my fucking Wednesday night. I the just... Rings. Oh, yes. the rings. Yes. The I know that. Rushing feeling of doom. Like, the and the Waterfords are so blissfully ignorant to what is Oive. Mm-hmm. But June's anxiety about that, and even Aunt Lydia's, is like, ew. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, just. And I know everybody on on reddit is like how are they eating can they throw up are they permanent how do they brush their teeth <laughs> and well, honestly i have no idea i mean for eating wise they could eat you know ensure ensure kind of things with a straw with a straw as for vomiting and taking care of their teeth most likely not well, they don't need their teeth oh <laughs> that's even worse implications Okay, so here, I said this a couple weeks ago, and I don't know if anybody who's been listening caught on, but I, I there's this movie that was made because I think it's important when we put these things in an economy of scale and the dialogue about a woman's body and her bodily sovereignty and autonomy. The movie is called Boxing Helena, and it came out in 1993. And it talks, it's a dialogue about 
relationship and possession in regards to the male gaze on the feminine body and that whole, it is a really kind of gross movie. People hate it. A lot of people hate it. But I think that if you can get past some of what might have been a failure of writing, imagination on the writer's part, and just think of it in terms of the concept of it and what it's trying to communicate. I think about the relationship between men and women and definitely about that sense of entitlement that male males have over women. When I say that Gilead could get worse, I've said this before and made the connection to Helena, boxing Helena. But this episode like really brought that home to me with those rings. Like that was so fucking disturbing. I can't even say Mm -hmm. because it, everything we've seen so far is horrible already, but this is just another indication of the commitment Gilead has to treating women and women who are fertile and women who are fertile and they have deemed as socially incapable of having a real relationship for whatever reason, because they're lesbian and they're a gender traitor, because they are an adulterer like June in her case, because she was married to a man who'd already been married to another woman or a woman has some other morally questionable reason that they can circular file her into the red center. But the whole thing is it it could get so much worse in their view of women as those sorts of women as just incubators. Because really at this point, we've moved that it's becoming frighteningly reductive, their viewpoint of what a woman is valuable for. And this whole thing, and I'm concerned about those things too, but I'm going to say this by having looked at the two girls, we see two separate women with the ring apparatus, right? Or three. And in every case that we've seen them, when you see them, it's still, it's raw and red around those rings. Which means... At the very least, they've tried to talk or something that would strain those rings. Well, here's my thinking is that while we're worried about them eating and not talking about the real fucking issue, I would like to say this. That may be indicative of them coming in and out all the time and never really getting a chance to heal properly. Oh, God, I hadn't thought about that. There is a reason why with piercings, you put a piercing in and then you fucking leave it alone. Because if you don't, the more you touch it, the more it's likely you will infect the site and irritate the skin, right? So it doesn't heal properly. It doesn't scab and heal up like any other piercing would. Those piercings are all really red and raw. So my guess is that they are allowed to take them out in order to eat at least a couple of them so they can get a straw or a spoon in. But I don't know. I guess we'll we'll, have to, hopefully they'll cover it. Right. But while we're all discussing this issue, I really wish we were more concerned about what it, what it says. I'm not trying to like moralize it, you guys, but it says something more important than, oh my God, they're going to be too skinny. And how do they get morning? How do they deal with morning sickness? And how do they do any of these things? Those things are so sure. Those are important. But what it really says is what lengths Gilead is willing to go to in order to dehumanize handmaids and then it's some way and even fred shows this through his posing of the picture of himself and serena and june in front of that angel statue Mm -hmm. is the dehumanization is very um what's the word there's a dichotomy in it it seems to me which is one that they are their human needs are irrelevant like needing to speak or having anything to say 
and eating and yes, dental care and all those sorts of things are part of that, that they're not able to do that without aid now, right? Really, they're kind of in a, it's almost like Chinese foot binding. So you have this mess and then there's also the dichotomy that they're setting them up as holy mothers because hmm. Fred is very on point about his imagery, right? And he says to Serena in this episode, you leave the optics to me. That's what I do, right? So he's very conscious of the images that he is using and the way that he and everyone in these pictures is being portrayed. There's a reason that June is in the middle with wings, there is also a reason why June is in the middle at the Blinken Memorial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's completely the, the, the relationship between a handmaid is between a husband and wife. Yeah. But is it just for the rest of the world? What is it that these are life givers, that this is the center of it. They're the centerpiece of what makes Gilead great, right? They have almost heavenly deific position. Because they're the only way that the future comes. Like there's a lot packed into that image and it makes, it it communicates Gilead's purpose to other Gilead, people from Gilead. But in the same way that the, let's just say the, um, we'd argue about this, the difference between how the Confederate flag appears to people who want to say that they're historically supporting their home states, right? That they're, they're, they want to honor the, you know, the state of Alabama or wherever. But to everyone else, it looks like Nazism. Now, it's both things, right? But it's all in how you see it. And Fred's trying to communicate with the outside world. Mm-hmm. He wants them to see this, like, in a, in a different way. He's putting his... He's putting their spin on this. And June is the center, not just because she's between the two of them, but because she represents the power of Gilead in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because they're having babies when other people aren't. And you've noticed they've been bringing children up more and more and more, right? We see more episodes with more children in Gilead all the time. And if we think about the episode prior where Luke is at the grocery store and he's buying formula. Mm-hmm. He mentioned guy, that it's so expensive. And, and the guy says, well, because not very many people need it nowadays. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you think about how that all plays out and why some of why other countries, like the Mexican delegation, they were going to trade for handmaids. Like, this is a this is something that, you know, Fred, I think Fred, who's very aware of optics this is a thing he's playing there's it's more it's more than just that and i wouldn't have necessarily picked up on it i don't think if it hadn't been for the shot with her and then the wings Mm -hmm. but there's a there's a dehumanizing that is creating a whole nother archetype of sorts and it's it's frightening because it completely removes handmaids then from being human in the way that would allow anybody in Gilead to even think about why or if it's right that they do what they do. Yeah. It's kind of like it makes them into uh, things that can be traded for chocolate. Yeah. Objects of, of objects of religious significance as opposed to people. It just fucked me up. 
So that's beside the point. And that's not really a theme because I don't think that we, we have assigned a theme to this and I, uh, the appearance of the rings for other reasons, but it's, I just like, they did bother you that much. It bothered me that much. I'm guessing it bothered everybody that much, but I was really way more concerned about than like the logistics of how that works as to oppose what it means really symbolically. Mm-hmm. It so. might also be for the, uh, for the handmaids <clears throat> is that they're in a different spot with a whole lot more power. Mm-hmm. And secrets, and it's just being that they cannot speak. Speak. They cannot tell what they know, what they see, but they do see. I think it's going to be real interesting to see how this comes out because let's just like talk about the the elephant in the room. So I'm wondering about Fred's journey for the rest of this episode. He's got himself in kind of a pickle with this new commander. I'm feeling some kind of vibe from Winslow, who, by the way, blessed be the booty fruit. Yeah. (laughs) She has a man crush, you know, on this actor. I do. I I will. I will put that out there. (laughs) Um, And so it's amusing. He's he's got a booty. Let's hope it. booties. They don't wreck him for you like they've wrecked Joe. (laughs) I don't know precisely if he's gay or bi or whatever. See, I think somebody had pointed it up on Reddit. Well, on the post as a bi man who watches the show, somebody had posted, someone who posted under it, uh, how small are we? said, I don't really see him as anything other than a dominance freak, that he gets off subjecting his will on less powerful. I disagree with the it's why his handmaid is ringed, because quite obviously there are a lot of other handmaids that are ringed. Right. Or at least the assumption is. I I don't think it was of Joseph, or not of Joseph, but of George that was the one that Aunt Lydia saw. No, I don't think it's the same one. So, but... It's why he has a gaggle of kids, while other lesser commanders have none or one. While in Fred's hometown, they're pulling back handmaids from the field. In Washington, they're drowning in them. In his dialogue, he's testing Fred, promising Fred a better position and threatening him with dominance, both mentally and physically. He's heard things about Fred. He assumed things about his household, followed by promises and prolonged touching. Winslow will turn out to be the very worst and most evil of the commanders. His prolocative productivity for dominance knows no gender he's a predator and i really agree with most of that yeah see and this is interesting because i think there might be a little of i think there might be a lot there mm-hmm. i think it's possible that george winslow is just a quote-unquote gender traitor mm-hmm. because if you were successful and capable of keeping secrets which might be why his handmaid is ringed it would be easy enough for you to marry a woman or be with a woman who is content for political, social, cultural reasons to allow you to be bisexual as long as you fulfilled the rest of your stuff. If the two of you had that agreement. Mm-hmm. She obviously is not shy about talking about having read Serena's book. She says she was a high-powered attorney before so, like, there's some things there that might indicate that they're more cosmopolitan 
in their and were prior to Gilead in their relationship, but there were things about Gilead that they or about the sons of Jacob's philosophy that they were really attracted to and what brought them into this. Mm -hmm. It is a bigger city. It is a more of a power city. You're going, we are going to run across as we go up the power ladder, more people that are, don't make sense to what Gilly headed has framed itself in terms of demographic. So, you know what I mean? So you're going to, we're going to see some of that. So that might be what's going on here and we're not aware, right? Or, you know, we don't know yet, but I know I thought right away when somebody was talking or when I saw the scene, I guess, is it reminds me of some stuff that I learned in college. We did history of the ancient world and there was a discussion about homosexuality and its prevalence within the Greeks and Romans in terms of culturally, because culturally there were even words for the relationships between men and men that were sexual that generally didn't involve the same sort of um, quote unquote, involve the same sort of emotional relationship. And they had definitions for those too. So they had like words that were specific to men who were with men because of sexual desire, men who were men with men because of them being emotionally attached to each other. And then men being with men for other reasons, political or otherwise, I guess. Anyway, the point is, is that it was not uncommon for men who identified in every other way as straight to force sexual attention on their underlings as a purposeful form of, yes, dominance, but it was like a culturally ingrained thing. So like, I agree with this post. I'm not really sure if that's what we're getting here, but it's certainly within the realm of possibility that George is not a gender traitor at all. He isn't bisexual. We're not going to have any reason to feel sympathetic towards him. But that he's like a Julius Caesar-esque character or a, you know, a high level, believes himself to be a high level sort of dominant male who then inflicts sexual harassment on anybody as a sign of, you know, who he is, leaving his mark on it. I don't know that that's what the rings are about, though. I think that might be a stretch. I think think that it's mostly just a... DC thing. Right. But I definitely, I think it's about keeping secrets. And I think you're right because what I said, which is that we're going to find more and more characters that don't fit into the demographic because it was it, I don't know, some college university in England who did the study and decided that most people who are attracted to positions of power at that level um, are sociopathic or all of them are. And they, they looked at the psychological profiles of like the last, I don't know how many American presidents and decided they were all sociopaths. They all were on the spectrum or narcissists. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're going to run into people who have big secrets. The bigger the fish, the bigger the secrets, I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's definitely going to be some secrets. Matter of fact, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if, there is gender traitorism in that house that both Winslow and his wife are. And they're a power couple, you know. You know I guess I mean? we'll just have to see. And I also know that that wasn't uncommon in my era when gay people couldn't get married, but two, two gay people that cared about each other were friends 
got married, I, I know for two friends for sure that I, from the eighties that were both of them were gay, but they got married so they could have kids mm. and then just had their own relationships with other people while they were raising their children. True facts. Hmm. So it's not un- it wasn't unusual or maybe it was unusual, but it's not outside my experience. Cause I've known two different couples that did that back in the day. And they're about, you know, again, these people in Leaders in Gilead are all about my age demographic or a little younger. So it doesn't surprise me. It's going to be I, interesting. I just wanted to add that little historical part. That's, it was not all uncommon for them to do that. Same reason they would fight like king to king or uh, lord to lord or whatever they had in Greece, warlord to whatever, or Rome, that when you beat somebody's somebody and he wasn't there, you raped his wife, which of course we see also in lots of other conquered lands that fell to the Romans that they, they also kept those. They did the same thing. They would rape women on their wedding nights. The Romans did it to each other. If you had more status than a guy or you were his, he was your, you know, guy underneath you. He was one of your subordinates and you were of a certain caste. You could do that. And they did it in Europe everywhere they conquered because if you can't kill them all you breed them out that was sort of their viewpoint and Mm -hmm. so sexual violence and sex as a form of dominance regardless of gender is definitely a thing historically oh yeah it most definitely is and excusable and official in some instances based on whatever i'm not i'm sure in gilead but i don't think that's going to stop this guy so fred might get a taste of his own medicine he might. I don't know. He might just like say, no, no, no. I think uh, where we are is fine. I'm going to gonna go. Go back to Boston. Yeah. This might be what leads to Fred being on the wall. It could. I know a lot of people have been suggesting that Fred was going to get stuck on the wall. There's supposed to be a big death this season. Maybe it'll be Fred. Who knows? The we good question will be, will it be because he acquiesces? Or because he says no. Or because he says no. Or because he it happens and he tells anybody about it. And they oh both boy. swing. And then they both swing. So maybe Serena will be using that phone call. Because what happens if Fred dies? She's got nothing. Mm-hmm. That's true. So And she'll have to go back and live with her mother. Which, oh, God. <laughs> Emotional I, black hole. <laughs> yeah, I don't think she's down for that. But she won't have a choice. So I don't know. I think it'll be real interesting. It'll be colonies. Colonies are your mama's house. Right? (laughs) Colonies are your mama's house. What's it going to (laughs) be? Give me a minute. (laughs) So I don't know. Anyway, so we got a little, we didn't do our themes like we usually do. We're sorry. But this episode was just so emotionally impactful for both me and Kay that we just like had to talk about it. Can I just say I'm so just frustrated with Nick. (laughs) Don't count our homeboy out yet. Okay. I'm, I'm just, right I, I realize I'm, I'm t- right. I realize I'm taking all of my poker chips off of the Serena <laughs> card and I'm moving them to the Nick card, but God damn it. I'm folding. Fuck. I am. I'm just folding. He's just, if there was something huge, like a war crime or something, why would you not maybe like, maybe mention something, maybe give a little hint that you shouldn't put all of your basket with him. Right. Here's but it's thing. just like, Ugh! 
I'm going to hold out for the idea that he's a he's a double agent. <sighs> I totally am. And we didn't see their conversation for a reason. We saw everyone else's. Well, I guess we didn't. We just saw Jones. But we didn't see that conversation. We don't know. And that might be why the Swiss won't work for him, won't listen to him, is after they find out all of it's done, it, he tells them he's an American official, so he's compromised for their investigation. Maybe. That would eliminate him as a source for them. It would, but you also got to think um, all of that, him saying, you know, it's so hard to get away from a government when you can, could also talk about his first actions with becoming a soldier for Gilead. Yes, and he probably did commit war crimes. Technically, every war is a crime. That's a hot take. <laughs> it's true. But, and you can't, by the way, you can't commit wars without make, committing war crimes. That's another one of those hot takes that I just like, I'm just going to throw out. If you don't like my politics, I'm sorry. But, so you have a situation where if he had killed an American citizens as an American citizen in an act of political rebellion, it could very well be considered a war crime. Mm -hmm. So could have been that he, um, he was part of the people who took out Congress. Yeah. 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 Ugh. (laughs) Just, but frustration the with that, him and Serena. Right. But the part of that that doesn't make sense to me, I, people were like, well, maybe he took a month off or took a year, a couple years off from being an important war hero to be a driver. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. The only thing that doesn't work with the war crime thing is him being able to go to Canada. Right. Maybe if it's only information Gilead knows, but nobody else knows, that could be a thing, I guess. But it's still just it. It's we're gonna. I'm gonna have to wait, but I'm taking my chips off. I'm taking my chips off. I just I think that there's a really good chance that there's a lot more to Nick's story than we know, and we shouldn't count the boy out of the ring yet. Uh, you can keep your chips there. I'm gonna try and find someone else to bet on. Well, and what's the other thing is, is one baby make more difference or does, if he works for Mayday, which in the book he does, Mm -hmm. if he works for Mayday and he goes to Chicago and somehow makes it so that Gilead loses or blows something, you know what I mean? Like there's a Mm -hmm. thing he has to do. What's more important, getting Holly Nicole back right now? Or letting the process take the time it needs to while him and Mayday do their best to take Gilead down so it's irrelevant. It's if, true. And if that's the case, why the fuck would he cooperate? Because he doesn't want a speedy end to it. Mm-hmm. Especially if it looks like Holly Nicole may well be forced to come back to, to Gilead. You wouldn't want her there when the war starts. Mm-hmm. It also could be, why not give some kind of clue to June? <laughs> give something to her. Because if they did, she is vulnerable. If they started torturing, really torturing June, she might give Nick up. If That's he, true. If she knew he was 
an actual agent and she knew how much of an agent that he might actually be working for the U.S. government and Mayday. Mm-hmm. That would be many people would die. It would not just be, you know what I mean? I don't be- know. I guess I'm just frustrated with him and I just want something. Oh, I know. We all want to kick his ass. So right. much. We all want to kick his ass right now. But Serena, mostly. Yeah, I mostly just want to kill Serena. It's fine. They can get hit by a truck. It's fine. Yeah. I I love her, but I hate her right now. Mm-hmm. I'm so disappointed in her. I am. It's just, uh, and oh, that cutesy moment where her and Fred are rebonding together Dang. and stuff. I was like, oh, marriage love. Oh, it's these two. Gag. Oh. Foaming at the mouth. Ugh. We'll talk more about that at the end of the episode, but because I don't want to, you know, completely bookend it, or I don't want to completely subvert the the way we go about things here, but holy fuck. Oh okay. my God. So we discussed earlier what um, the themes were that we saw that kind of stuck out in this show. And we'll get back to just like general discussion about the show at the end, but we have to like, we have to get the money part, the money part of this show done. Um, and we recognized for this week. Yes, we did. We did recognize four of those suckers, and one of which being at least silence. Yes. Used to an exceptionally good effect. Mm-hmm. I think. Very much so. Um, the, the obvious silence with the handmaids, silencing them, not only if, if it's only a couple of them wearing rings, it's not only that, it's that face corset yeah because they can't move their mouth yeah um yeah i also saw a couple of kano wives i think it was i don't know if it was an econo wife or a martha when they were coming down the escalator that they had their faces wrapped too at the bottom i don't think that they had the the mouth corset but at the very least they had their their um their faces wrapped up with like a blanket or or not a blanket um a scarf right so the silencing yeah of handmaids and maybe just women in general at least women not in power cuz no no uh wife really had their mouth covered up oh it'll be fun when that starts mhm Maybe then Serena will get out of the goddamn boiling pot. Skitter, you little lobster. Skitter. Fuck. So, and then there's other episodes, there's other parts of that. So let's talk about those. Oh, there's most definitely the, uh, the Marthas are also silenced. Uh, Tamara, I think I, I've got to remember her name. Um, the Winslow Martha. Mm-hmm didn't speak when they first came in. She's, she's absolutely silent throughout the entire episode, except for where she tells June that Nick's downstairs. She doesn't actually say it's Nick, but she says it's somebody outside. Right. And what does that tell us about her besides the silence part? But then there's the whole that she told you, she came and told June. Mm -hmm. 
Maybe it was because it was a commander. I don't know. Or was it because, and then knew it was June. I don't think he approached the door and knocked. He was way out on the street. It could be that since he never shows up um, or only showed up because um, after those guys showed up, maybe she figured it obviously was for June. If June didn't react, maybe it was the, uh, maybe it was the wife. I don't know. But why would she just assume June? We don't see her go tell Fred or Serena. She knows that she's there for June. It could be the fact that. Does everybody know? I don't know. Maybe she just assumes because commander coming around. I don't know. There's a house full of commanders and high powered people. If he came there to see somebody and then lingered around outside, wouldn't he be there to see one of the two commanders, not the handmaid who he's not supposed to have any contact with. I don't know. It's maybe he told her and then skittered back to be all, you know, mysterious. I just think it's interesting. Maybe we're meant to take from this how big and how wide the Martha network is. Mm -hmm. And also take it as an indicator that Nick is connected to that. Maybe Mayday's working with all them. And she knows that who he is and who June is and why he would come there and stand outside. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, there's things there that it's like a plot hole, maybe, if they don't, you know, patch it up with some speckle, but. Maybe. So the silent Martha's, the, the train ride is surprisingly quiet. There's Very. other scenes that are really like that. The mall um, outside the Lincoln Memorial between the around the reflecting pool for the Washington Monument, which has now been repurposed as a cross. Mm-hmm. Nobody says anything. The only mm-hmm. one who looks up at June, it seems to be and uh, not even really like super obvious like, if we hadn't focused on her by camera. Um, but it looked like it was of George. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Very much so. And you mentioned a couple other places where silence works really well in this episode. Where were they? Uh, well, Serena mm-hmm. is silent a lot, especially towards um, June. It isn't until there's a threat of something that she really wants to talk too much. Like she doesn't answer uh, June's greeting. She doesn't speak to her until June literally kind of forces herself into her, into her quiet moment. Right. And then she threatens June later. Same stuff. She used to threaten with a, like uh wasn't it season one? Yeah. Don't be stupid. But no, I mean, at the end, at the Washington Monument, when she says that about their circles, we should have rang you, given you rings when you first arrived. Oh, yeah, that too. She threatens her at least twice in the in this show for for this episode. Right. But I thought it was interesting that she also then, you know, threatens her with silence, quote unquote. You could mm-hmm. be silenced. I don't need to hear you anymore. You're you upset my self delusions. There was also the fact that she was like, isn't it nice, the silence? Yes. She did mention that. 
It's a lot. It's good, but there's a lot. So that was one of the one of them was silence. If you guys can think of some other ways in which silence was integral to this episode and a kind of a background theme, we'd like to hear about it. I think in general, of course, that silence and that threat of silence is is the threat of further controls. Like it's silence is used to against used against the characters. It's used by the characters, and it is kind of a. Um, I want to say about that a threat well it yeah it's it's definitely a threat but it also represents that silence the things they don't talk about which is the truth and that Serena doesn't want to hear it anymore mm-hmm. yeah she was perfectly willing to to put herself out there for that little bit but yeah nah so she doesn't want that anymore so our second one, because it was actually your first. Oh. <laughs> I would have to say that it's just disappointment. And to which I respond, yeah, fucked. Yeah. You, mean yeah. fucked. you mean fucked, right? Mm-hmm. Totally I, do. Because offers disappointment or off Joseph June's disappointment is obvious. She's disappointed in every way possible out of this trip. She thought Mm -hmm. she had made allies who were powerful and able to help her. And every single one of them have, have ended up disappointing her this week. Except for Aunt Lydia. Strangely enough. Strangely. Disappointment was a big one. And and it's interesting how Fred's disappointment with his lot and all of his all of his demotions have also then how that colors his interactions with the the people we see now and mm-hmm. his attempt to like regain his control over this whole situation. And now how he's leveraging this this mess into a political move mm-hmm. it, with something that he knows and Serena doesn't. Yeah, and I'm wondering about the setup for disappointment for Serena when she realizes that Fred doesn't really care; he's just using her. Uh, we saw a chance of him possibly, you know, being disappointing to Serena when he mentioned that it was a great opportunity for them. And Serena immediately was like, for who? And it, Nicole was the very last thing he mentioned. Yep. 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 We just get a taste, just a lick of foreshadowing that June's going to be disappointed. June is disappointed. Serena's next. Mm-hmm. Nick disappointed her. Yeah, he did. Serena, Fred, in the meanwhile. Mm-hmm. 
Fred's doing what he wants. Which is always a disappointment. Oh. To everybody but Fred. Yeah, that's true. Serena thinks right now it's all good, but... But who knows? Right. Who knows how that's gonna... How that's gonna play out. And then there was the next theme, which I think is important to explore, is power and dominance. And I think that that might be, in truth, like the main theme of this entire episode. Uh, We talked about it a little earlier, about the Winslow and the pool table and that whole business. Yeah, the power kind of thing. Right. But it is the things that he did in that episode read very much like what we hear women and men who are sexually harassed in the workplace deal with when it starts the grooming process or the like, you know what I mean? Like where they do things in front of you that could be anything, but they're testing whether or not you're going to assert your boundaries when they do it. It's just the testings. Yeah, I mean, he sticks his ass, like, right up Fred's business. I mean, that also (laughs) could be a little bit for us. (laughs) Maybe he does have a nice butt. but And then that putting his arm over his shoulder and suggesting that he knows about Fred's secrets. Mm -hmm. Like this weird invitation to quid pro quo, right? That isn't, isn't really. It's just sort of a weird thing. And that's definitely, even if it's nothing, even if it is just sexual and we do find out that that Winslow is a gender traitor and is attracted to Fred, I still think that that's a dominance move in another way. Like it's, it's that it's the equal, right? Mm-hmm. It it may be general. It It might really be a romantic interest or a, you know what I mean? Whatever. Or even just a sexual interest that maybe Winslow is attracted to other powerful men. Um, and that plays into this, but it's that whole business is both things. If it's anything, it's got that feel to it to me. It's got a lot of layers in there. Yes. And then the rings themselves are a form of dominance. It's of course, you know, we can do this to you. We can reduce you to that. Mm-hmm. And power, the power that they have. Uh, this was a rough episode. What other things did you see that were a power situation? A lot of betrayal, but we well, talked about that a little we'll, too. Well, we'll get to the, the that, but I mean like assertions of power, not that, because that's what that's our last theme is betrayal. Mm-hmm. But let's not cross streams other than to suggest. Like situations where we saw somebody use their power or abuse their power or lose their power or give it up. Oh, for losing their power. Serena didn't have power over June for her, her interview with the Swiss. Right. And did you notice how uncomfortable that made both her and Fred? Oh God. Yeah. Especially with him going in our culture. It's only been five years. You don't have a real culture. (laughs) You have, a hierarchy of just oppression. That's what you have. But um, there's also, oh goodness. June attempting to assert her power over Nick. Mm-hmm. Which semi worked. Maybe. Or did Rita, Rita kind of gave up her power. 
in that she was so gung ho about getting them, getting this baby out. But now all of a sudden she's, this is all Serena ever wanted. Yeah. And Fred's, Fred's asserting his power, regaining it Mm -hmm. politically by using his pawns in every way possible. Yeah. Especially with him saying things like, I know about this. Yep. I know how to massage the media. And so let me do it. Because this is what I'm good at. is telling lies. There was a bit of taking power with June. Because I don't know who told that June had to wear the 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 face corset. Right. But somebody higher up told June she had to wear this when in the first time that they tried they did a video, she didn't have to. Which I don't know if that's gonna hurt their chances or not for people being like, oh, you know, they're a good people. Oh, why is she wearing that? <laughs> I kind of get the impression from some of what was said when we see the first handmaids that have them on in the in the train station, right? Mm-hmm. That they were spinning it as they had given up silence and t- or given an offering of their silence until Nicole Holly is returned. They could probably do that. I don't know. It's going to be a tough one. I-, I was hoping that maybe, you know, one of the, if there is a, um, a Martha or a, a handmaid that has escaped from, DC that they can tell Canadian uh, like the Canadian airwaves no 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 we were forced to do this before right I don't know I don't either but I know that Aunt Lydia makes a remark about that when they get to that first place and she's told to go um June is told to go to her spot and there's those two handmaids that are sitting there that are kneeling mm-hmm. and she kneels down with them and then Aunt Lydia comes over to collect her right and says is that lovely? You know, it's a offering of, of silent prayer. It's, you know, like, like nuns who, or monks who take silence as a vow. Hmm. It's another reason I said that about the whole elevation of them beyond the weird fetishizing they're making of them. And I mean, don't mean fetishizing in the sexual way. I mean, fetishizing as a fetish is de- defined as an object of power or religious adoration. Mm-hmm. Which takes away their agency and their humanity. This is interesting to me. It is, absolutely. From, from that aspect that it's like how that's all twisted up in that whole power and dominance and then how it looks to others, the appearance of it. Which, of course, we get to later when... June is clearly upset and Lydia is upset by it. When Lydia realizes that it wasn't just that they were wearing those face masks, right? Because there's a moment when she tugs that girl's up to cover her lips. You can see on Lydia's face how disgusted she is. She's she's really shocked by that. Yeah. And horrified. Mm-hmm. And then when her and June are both disturbed, it's clearly she they're both upset. And Lydia cues into that. Like so her empathy takes over and she's... You know what I mean? And they had that conversation on the cot. Mm -hmm. Like, do you want us silenced? Do you, you know, Aunt Lydia, do you want us silenced? And she's like, no. 
Like she doesn't want that. It's not kind of what she's signing up for. Yeah. This is like, like she's getting them getting a grip on what all she's signed up for finally, including not being allowed to be part of the upper echelon. Right. Cause she got shut out of the thing at the Putnam's like there's this whole thing there. That's really intense. Mm-hmm. And what that means for Lydia in terms of her power too. How is she going to use it to protect the girls? So I think it's a really important portion of the show because we just see it. And then having all that thing on the mall, having all of the handmaids there, this is a, like a military parade. Somebody mentioned that before about some other stuff that they'd seen with the people moving around and their colors and the, way that works but that definitely looks like that it's like a huge epine waving of the united of gilead over everybody about look at all these fertile women that we have that have given themselves to you know gilead quote unquote because that's what they're telling everybody is that these women are all voluntarily here Mm -hmm. so and then let's let's touch on betrayal because you mentioned it since we're here at the last of our four so so much betrayal yes especially with serena it to um to offer it june she's betraying the shit out of june betraying what she herself really and betraying nicole holly Mm -hmm. because she promised it was going to be goodbye Yep. And she meant to do the right thing and then couldn't because she can't let go of the past. She can't let go. She can't. And then there. And I told you, told you at the last episode, it was a bad idea. Right. I know. Velociraptor screech. Right. And then Nick's disappointment. Like he disappointing June. Because it's not going to get her what she wants. No. And I don't know, but I kind of got the impression from when she started asking him for help that he was disappointed in her. Yeah. Like you got, you talk to the, you talk to the Swedes and it's like, or the Swiss, the Swedes. And you know, you talk to them and it's like, yeah. (laughs) Right. And he was hoping she'd be just want to see him because, you know what I mean? Disappointed that she was already angling instead of like into him for the moment. Mm-hmm. Like which, both. which can't can't a relationship have a meetup for both reasons? Come on now, I may I may call my wife to come to work, but at the very least, I might also want her to bring me lunch. Right. It's an interesting conundrum. He has a, there's a moment there. It looks like he's disappointed, and Serena getting set up for a major disappointment, which she just got a taste of when Fred said something about moving to DC. Mm-hmm. Because I think she thinks he's changed. Yeah, especially with that whole I lost my lion scene. Yeah. And that he means what he's doing. But he doubles down and repeats himself about the house. About mm-hmm. his house. About his his possessions. Oh, yeah. Which I just seem... I don't remember that they cut to her face. But... 
it's a thing he says, you know, so there's, she's going to get set up for big disappointment too. I think Serena's going to, going to suffer a little bit. It's okay. I don't feel bad for her. You sure? (laughs) I don't. She needs it, I guess. It's, it's like you don't want women to suffer. I don't. I want her but to wake up. It, it's, there has to be something. I want her to wake up. And the reason I want her to wake up is she can do what June can't. Mm. Move the and line. And two of them, the two of them, if they were like aligned, could get things done. Mm-hmm. Even if they escaped to Canada, they could get more done. Serena has the name recognition. Serena has the media savvy. Serena is really smart and she's strategic. And she's good at compartmentalizing her feelings. Like she would be really good spokeswoman, spokesperson for, you know, Gilead's liberation. But she is just keeps choosing to roll over and go back to bed. She's going to take another, she's just going to take another emotional ambient and move on. I, and it just upsets me, you know, mm-hmm. I'm disappointed. She's betrayed me. I feel betrayed by Serena. <laughs> um, so there's that. And then that Fred's Fred's ambition may betray him. Mm-hmm. Like how far is he willing to go? Yeah. Yeah. How far is he willing to go to boot? How far is he willing to employ the same um, advice he would give June or Serena to lay back and enjoy it? Right. I, I'm waiting. Mm-hmm. I don't like the idea of cheering for Fred to be abused in order for him to get what get it or to get what he's what's coming to him or getting even i've seen some kind of scary posts that lean that direction i would never wish rape or non-consensual sexual activity on anyone oh i absolutely would not want any of that for any reason Mm -hmm. fred is a monster but him getting raped is not going to change that I don't I don't think that's a motivator for waking people up. I don't see a tit for tat for this, honestly. No, and I hope that the show doesn't play it off that way. And I hope that if it does happen, that that's not how people externalize what they think about it. Because that's really fucked up. It is. I don't want to see that. I don't want it to go that way. First of all, I it's I think it's a horrible way to portray... I just, I just think it's bad and it's not that, Oh, well, we've seen how many women get raped. Why is, you know, that's horrible too, folks. It is, but it's not built on bad story writing. The idea that Fred getting raped as a response for, you know, is like a crowd pleaser for us to see him get his comeuppance is not the same as the functioning and purposeful sexual violence that we see in the first two seasons. It's not. It's not the same. It doesn't operate the same in storytelling. And that would be a cheap, shitty, and exploitive way to do that. 
in my opinion. That's, I get it. Other people may have different opinions, but that's definitely my opinion. I don't want to see that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to either. Like I said, I don't want either of those people hurt like that, Serena or Fred or anything like that. Yes, what they did was terrible, but I don't like the idea of horrible things tit for tat. No. <clears throat> I'm not an eye for an eye kind of person. Eye for an eye leaves the whole word, world blind. Exactly. So I'm not into that. But it was there's a lot of betrayal in this mm-hmm. episode, unfortunately. And the Martha portraying her family to let her. You know, there's that. There's like a lot of it. It's there's like a trading off. And then the, the Swiss betraying in some respects betraying June. Yeah, we promise no matter what, we will do this thing. And then they turn around and they're like, well, yeah, we didn't get what we wanted. Yeah. The wording of it was that they said was if you get us Commander Blaine, that she got Commander Blaine. Yeah, she did. She got him. She didn't get him to talk the way they wanted him to talk. Or maybe he did, but they decided they can't use the information. That's too late. Mm-hmm. You gave an explicit. Yeah. This isn't Shopco, folks. Mm-mm. So I, I'm, I'm not happy about that either, but it is what it is. We'll see. I think it may be deeper than we uh, we think, and I think we're supposed to think that's really bad, but I don't know that it is. Ah, <sighs> so much sigh. There's just too much. I mean, there's just too much for it all to like go in the same bucket. Something's got to slide out and be, you know, plot wise. Otherwise, we're locked up tight and there's no moving forward other than there's going to be a war. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I just don't see that. I guess I don't see it being that way. So somebody's going to have to give. Just going to be interesting to see whether it's Nick and the Swiss and the Canadians or if it's going to be Serena. We were taking bets earlier between the two of us, which one was not the fuckhead. (laughs) And I'm going for a 50-50 split that it's one or the other. And Kay is like, nope, they're both done. Yep. I'm going with my statement. Yep. I'm still sticking with 50-50 split. Mm -mm. Or maybe it will be, uh, you know, Aunt Lydia who breaks. I don't know. Could be. But we need a ray of light somewhere, and it's gonna, it's coming. I don't know which direction June's going to turn next, but we'll see. And maybe it'll be Commander Lawrence and his wife as he starts to open up and Eleanor starts to get better. It can't all be bad news. It just can't be. As much as this episode was all bad news. <laughs> It can't all be bad news. I know. I have to. My my mind tells me it just can't all be this terrible. (sighs) Something will give. Mm, No. (laughs) I don't know. I'm Princess Leia, you know. The more you, the tighter you grasp your fingers, the more, you know, it leaks between them. So I'm I'm just going to (laughs) hope. Just going to hope and pray. I give you the best. So just the episode in general was really good, I thought. Oh, it was very good. Emotionally terrible. Really hard to swallow. But And, the, you know, that's the thing is it's art, right? If it makes us feel things, it's art. So it definitely met all those proofs. Mm-hmm. And, again, just more praise and love and affection for the set designers and the costumers and the, depart- the director of photography for this show. Mm-hmm. It's so much better than we're used to seeing from television shows. 
Oh yeah. I'm just really impressed with it. I don't know if they've just really re- lifted the bar in terms of that with this show, I think. Oh yeah. I mean, consistently. So, and it, it just is really beautiful. I thought it was interesting that they left the Washington monument only because they could make it across. Yeah, that was, that was interesting. <laughs> Especially since as somebody brought up and read it, um, that we've not seen any Christian iconography really until like now, other than there was the argument about the crosses in the swimming pool where, when, um, the drowning took place, the drowning punishment took place. And mm-hmm. I don't know that those were perfect, purposely Christian crosses. They just look like, like, you know, safety or swim meet markings in a pool. I'm not sure that that was really religious iconography in the way that um, that cross made the Washington Monument made into a cross like that. That was clearly religious and Christian in nature. I'm just going to quick look that up. If the bottom of the pool has like some kind of meaning. Oh, like um, I can't quite remember. Was it just that it was a T or that it was an actual? Yeah. Um, they, well, they, they, they were crosses. And I don't think they're T's. Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. You know, just why not see if there's a, a well, there were there were posts about it on, on Reddit. That's why I brought it up, but oh, I was going to, I'm sure I was missing that, <laughs> but I, I just wonder about that. So I thought that was really interesting. The music this week didn't hit me as much. Yeah. There was kind of like a lot less, which I, I guess miss, is fine. Yeah. Except I miss it when they don't do it. I just, it's like it's they fine. lose good ideas or whatever. Um, I really liked the interaction between Serena and June at the Lincoln Memorial. Mm-hmm. I liked it too. I just wish they had been a little more quiet. Mm-hmm. Just a little quiet. Like, you know, it's echoing in there. Maybe you want to tone it down a little. Oh, well, I'm sure that's what Fred was thinking while he was pooping <laughs> his drawers. <laughs> just shh, girls. Shh, 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 You're both pretty. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. Bring you both. Um, that was just, that was a really good interaction. And I think I mentioned earlier already about Aunt Lydia and June's interactions in this episode were really good. Mm-hmm. And the one interaction we get with Rita, really. Yeah. And Rita couldn't look June exactly in the face when she said that either. Did you notice? Yeah, she like, didn't look her in the eyes. She just kept looking away like, nope, I'm watching, uh, watching my feet. And hurried off and kind mm-hmm. of left her standing there, which I... Rita lost all of her, like, I don't know, spunk. I don't know. I don't know. She feels, I think she feels torn because she sees Serena's pain, but at the same time, she knows what's right. Yeah. I feel that's another reason why I think I mentioned last episode. I just feel like Rita is us, supposed to be us. (laughs) Sassy. Well, no, I just mean in terms of like feeling conflicted about all these characters that we see their humanity and we want to reach out to that. But at the same time, we know what the right thing is. Yeah. So I kind of have to wonder if Rita is in a stand-in for that. I don't know. I thought it was a really, a really good episode. I'm looking forward to next week. I think we're at the end of um, spoilers that would have come out of any of the reviewers, right? Because they got the first six episodes. The reviewers did. <clears throat> and now we're in virgin territory. Really, really virgin territory. I avoided all the spoilers I possibly could, so I didn't have any anyway. But Same. Um. For other people, it'll all be very new to everybody on Wednesday. And you'll notice, I, I want to take a moment to explain this. I have a, I'm feeling that I may have made a mistake 
somewhere along the line in our recording and we might actually be missing an episode on anchor. And I think I might have recorded over something that I shouldn't have. So if anybody has noticed it, I apologize. Now I'm going to investigate this further over the next week or so. And if in fact that is the case and something is not there that needs to be there that we, I managed to record over or erase Kay and I will go back and fix it. Even if it means refilming. Yeah, or re-recording. But we will do that because I it doesn't look right to me. And this episode will drop tomorrow or later this evening, which will get us caught up to the show. So next you- week's episode <laughs> will be caught up to what releases on Wednesday. So we'll be caught up. Yay. And then people don't have to be sad at us anymore. Exactly. You asked and now you receive. Yes. But it also means that the next episode won't be spoiler free for you if you didn't watch. <laughs> Very true. So so you'll have to think about that. But we'll be on the same page with the rest of you so we can do a better job of keeping an eye on what's going on in Reddit without having to go, oh, no, I can't look at that right now. <laughs> Hopefully. Yes. So... I wanted to say those two things because I just, I didn't realize it, but I was looking at it today. We keep having this mini argument at the start of every episode, what episode we're on. And then it, it, I went back and looked and went, oh shit, I think I did screw something up. Um, that's what happens when you're doing 20 million things a day, all day long, every day. Mm-hmm. So I, you get a little ahead of yourself. So I will, we'll do what we have to, to fix that, sort it out. I don't know if I have anything else to say other than. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say. I think we're well covered. I think we got it. I think we hit it. Mm -hmm. I'm pumped. Are you pumped? For next week? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I am about getting my Brazilian wax done. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I also wanted to say verbally, for those of you who are gamers and or Twitch users, I just want to say this verbally instead of just put it in the show notes. For those of you who are Twitch subscribers, um, I would suggest that you hook yourself up by looking at the show notes and see Kay's Twitch stream. She is right now running a Pride Month benefit for the Trevor Project. Yeah. And it's the last few days you can get involved if you want to make a make a donation. It would be a really great way to support the Trevor Project and support Kay. The link to her Twitch channel is in our show notes, and she can give it to you now because I don't know it, but she probably it just probably rolls <laughs> off that lesbian tongue. Huh. <laughs> uh, it is twitch.tv slash historical squid, all lowercase, all one word. There you go. And so you can watch her stream, which is fun. And you can do it with purpose and make a donation to the Trevor Project while you're there. So that's it. We love you all. We don't have any call outs to make in this episode, of course, because it's back to back with the last one. So we haven't got any feedback on the last episode. I already put that up this morning. So So there it is. And until we speak with you all again, blessed be the fight. Blessed be the fight. And that's a wrap on another episode of Handmaids and Harlots, the podcast. 
We are indebted to EDM Mond for use of their song, Memories, Innocence of a Girl, available through Audio Library. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please smash the like button wherever you find us. Follow us on Twitter at HandmaidsH, where you can make comments, share news and thoughts, or email us directly at HandmaidsNHarlots at gmail.com. And for essays by either myself or Kay, check out and subscribe to our WordPress blog at handmaidsnharlots.wordpress.com. Until next time, peace be with you.